Hey everyone, you're listening to Obscuristan, the podcast where we talk about how fucking weird Eurasia is. And more importantly, how it got that way. We're your hosts. I'm Anna. I'm Karina. And without further ado, let's go to Obscuristan. So what are we talking about today? So today we are talking about the singer Philip Kirkorov. And what do you know about Kirkorov? Um I I feel like I know as much about Kirkorov as like any person in the former Soviet Union, which is just like a lot of hair, a lot of makeup. And of course, I know that he is like vaguely related to Armenia, but also not uh not a big lover of the country. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So for our listeners, Philip Kutkorov is a Russian pop music giant. He's a singer, songwriter, actor, and TV presenter. And as Anna said, he's loved by millions of people across Eurasia, and in Russia particularly. He continues to perform today, touring different countries, including the US, Germany, and Israel, mostly for local members of the Russian diaspora. Anna, do you know where he is originally from? Um, I want to say Bulgaria. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, that is correct. Yes. He was born in Varna on the Black Sea. Yes, research. Yeah, Sorry. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so he was born in 1967, so he's currently 54. His father, Bedros Kirkorov, was also a singer. And um, obviously his father's Armenian. And there's a sizable Armenian community in Bulgaria, mostly in Plovdiv, but also in Varna, where he's from. Um, but anyway... Kirkorov's mom is not Armenian. She's of mixed Russian and Roma descent. Wait, Kirkorov is only 54 years old? Yeah. Why? Wait, why do you I say that? I did know that. Yes. Did you think he was older or younger? I thought he was older. I really thought he was older. His vibe is definitely older. Yeah, his vibe is like like our parents, like my parents' generation, but like older than them, that they grew up with him and knew him. I had no idea he was that young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a Wild. interesting point, yeah. So he's not just a Russian pop star. He's a star of the Russian estrada. And I think at this point, it'll be useful for our listeners to know what that is. Um, Anna, you're familiar with Russian estrada, right? How would you describe oh, it? Oh, yes. <laughs> How would you describe it to someone who has no idea what it is? Um, I feel like if you imagine like like the 80s on steroids, like flashing <laughs> lights, so much like hair. Um, and it's a lot of – it's like the most performancey performers you can possibly imagine. Like everything is very dramatic, I would say. That's, that's a really – astute actually um observation and description of it it's an integral part of show business in russia right it is show business in russia and it's not just pop music it often includes elements of illusionism in like the variety show kind of way um and it's not something that's been popular in the u.s for a few decades but it still is in other countries right in some european countries it's theatrical it's campy it's 
schmaltzy love songs, and it's all lip synced. I feel like um, variety shows are, are still very much a thing in the former Soviet Union. Like this, you, you've, you'll frequently see like very famous singers next to magicians, which is not something. Yes, exactly. Um, and there's spoken word, right? There's satire, there's parody. But it's all very commercial and made for TV, right? And it kind of has this parochial um, character to it. Uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily conservative because it does push the envelope a bit when it comes to sexuality, even if it's ambiguous. Um, but it still doesn't do it in ways that challenge the social order in Russia's conservative society. It's still stuff grandmas love, right? It's still stuff families watch mm -hmm. on TV together. Um, and this is where I get to the more kind of um, political aspect of Estrada. So it's an exclusive club. That's how I would describe it. You don't just show up and kind of show talent and just get in. Um, yeah, definitely. It's broadcast on Russian state TV. And of course, nobody gets on Russian state TV without at least tacit support of the state. So perhaps in an abstract way, they're kind of agents of the state in many ways. And I say agents, right, in the sense that at the very least, they're helping legitimate the Russian state through their cooperation, especially in the fact that so much of what they offer their audience is sentimentality, right? This lack of criticism and kind of everything's great. Um, and of course, formally, they're included in the system of state awards of the Russian Federation. They're like, you know, honored art artist of Russia or people's artist of Russia. And Kirkorov, by the way, is the People's Artist of Russia, and he has the Order of Honor of Russia, which is, you know, another state order of the Russian Federation. Would you call those, like, Russian knighthoods? Is that the equivalent? That's an interesting um, parallel. I don't know if it's that, it has that kind of prestige. Oh, it does have that prestige, actually. I think probably because it's so campy to me that it just doesn't, it, it, yeah. it's not as kind of grand as a knighthood. Yeah, something about like equating Filip Kirkorov and like Helen Dame, Helen Mirren is no, so funny right. to me. <laughs> right, they're, to they're from totally different universes. I want to talk a little bit about Kirkorov's background and kind of how he got his start. He got his start in, in Russian show business during the Soviet times. And it's not quite clear to me when or how he moved to Russia from Bulgaria. I know that he went to music school in Russia. But things really started in 1985 when he was 18. And he had his first appearance on a local music TV show. Two years later, he started singing professionally at the St. Petersburg Music Hall. And arguably the most crucial moment of his career happened a couple, couple years later in 1988 when he met Russian singer Ala Pugachova. Now, I think we have to pause here to kind of discuss Ala Pugachova just because of how big she is. And so for this, Anna, I, I, I turn to you. How would you describe Ala to someone who's never heard of her? Oh my God, Ala Pugachova is larger than life. I, I have to say, I actually, uh, I have a lot of, I have a lot more affection for Ala Pugachova, I would say, than for Filip Kirkorov. I don't know if there's like any real reason for that, but she has this song, Arlikino, where she just like prances around, like singing about a clown. And I don't know why, but I love that <laughs> so much. Yes, she is probably Russia's and the former Soviet Union's most popular performer. Um, she's known as the grandmother of Russian pop. She used to have this kind of big, kind of auburn curly hair. She sang in this husky smoker's voice, and now she's kind of more blonde. I've like looked her up. She still has that big hair. Wait, is she blonde now? Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. 
Um, and people spanning generations know her songs by heart. And in the Soviet era, she was the biggest, most influential personality in the Soviet music scene. So she was known to be someone who determined the fate of people's career. Like she could make make or break you on a whim. So this meaning between Kirkorov and Pukachova cannot be understated because of how powerful she was. And she likes him, decides to take him on tour with her. And they perform in Austria and Germany. And he's only like 21 at the time. And this really began his meteoric rise to fame. He's winning televised music competitions in the 1990s. In 92, one of his music videos was selected as music video of the year. He starts becoming popular outside of Russia, starts touring places like, you know, U.S., Germany, Israel. And in 1994, when he's churning out hit after hit, he and Ala Pugacheva shocked the public by announcing that they're getting married. Now, if you read material on this in the news from the time, the marriage was shocking because of their age difference, or that's at least what was kind of discussed. Because at the time, Kirkorov was 27 and Pugacheva was 45. But that's not, Shit. yeah, that's quite a, quite a difference there. But that's not the only reason the marriage was shocking to the public. And I'll come back to that. Um, and it's really you know, that time of his career, right, after he marries Pugacheva, that, um, you know, he just really becomes huge. Beyond his own hits, he's representing Russia at Eurovision. Um, he co-wrote the Belarusian Eurovision entry for 2007, the Ukrainian one for 2008, and then Moldova's entry for just last year, 2021. Um, so he's everywhere, you know, and he's the um, He's the the a judge in the second season of Music Idol in Bulgaria. You know, he's he's ubiquitous at this point. But um, where Kirkorov goes, so does scandal. And this is uh, <laughs> kind of where we talk about you know his the uh, more interesting kind of aspects of his of his music career. And I wanted to say, you know, pop stars are no strangers to bad behavior. But in Russia, I feel like there are different expectations, right? You couldn't bite the head off a bat on stage like Ozzy Osbourne did in the U.S., right? <laughs> like that could <laughs> never happen in Russia. This, this is a place where the public expects stars to kind of be walking in the footsteps of Tolstoy and Dostoevsky, I mean, to some extent. And this is where we get to these scandals, right? In 2004, and I remember this, okay, Kirkorov insulted a reporter named Irina Aroyan from a small regional newspaper in Rostov at a news conference. So she asked him, Anna, have you heard about this? I actually haven't. I didn't okay. know this. This is like his most notorious one. And there's others we'll get into. So she asked him at this press conference um, why so many of his songs are remakes, which is like, mm, he's immediately annoyed. And he's kind of like, okay, then name all my remakes to sort of make the point that, you know, they weren't that much in number and he really puts her on the spot here. And he draws this out for maximum effect. I mean, I've watched the exchange. It's on video. It's really bad. She was inexperienced. How long it's is a, it? It's a couple minutes long. Um, she was inexperienced and was kind of asking sincerely. And he's embarrassing her and she's fumbling. Okay. He says to her, and this is in front of the press corps with cameras running and everything. He says, quote, I'm tired of you, irritated by your pink top, your tits and your microphone. I don't give a fuck about what you might write. I hate amateurs. They have nothing to do here. <laughs> Holy shit. He's really vicious with her. He mocks her Southern Russian accent and he tells her to leave like in front of everyone. 
Wow. Yeah. The conference room goes totally silent. Like it's super awkward. And then, you know, as she's kind of like grabbing her things to leave, he's he's continuing. He's like, one should be prepared for a conference with a star, not like you. That's it. Goodbye. Sumasaiti. Holy, that's like crazy. It gets worse. So she, as she's gathering her things to leave, he uses the slur for female genitalia. It's basically like the C word in Russian. What? Right. And wow. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty much bullying. You know, he's this powerful star being interviewed. She's this new and experienced young reporter from a regional newspaper. It's like, you know, it's pretty cringe. And it's all caught on camera. And it had a pretty big effect on the public. People were really pissed off at Kirkorov. They sent a flood of letters of support to the newspaper the journalists work for. And the whole scandal kind of started to be referred simply as pink top tits and microphone. <laughs> and okay, see, I see the name now. She took him to court for public insult and she won. That's a thing. It's a thing. And it worked in this case. And you know, it's really interesting because there was this kind of patriarchal aspect to it. It was like, you know, how, you know, he, he shouldn't have insulted a woman like that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so then in 2010, a few years later, at the filming of one of Russia's music awards, Kirkorov reportedly assaulted an assistant who was also a woman. Um, this assistant alleged that Kutkorov was unhappy about the lighting during a rehearsal. And when she wouldn't change the lighting, he slapped her face, knocked her to the ground, and then dragged her along the floor by her hair and kicked her. Oh, my God. Yeah. When the woman threatened to sue, Kirkorov's aides first denied the attack and then accused the assistant of fabricating it. And then a couple days later, it turns out Kirkorov had fled to Israel for psychiatric tests and then released an apology on his personal website. And the statement said, quote, unfortunately, I am forced to talk about something I could not admit to myself. I must be seriously ill. Twice a year, I have serious attacks when I do not remember or understand anything that I do. Which, if you think that sounds less than sincere, I would agree with you. That's such a weird thing to say. It does sound like it's kind of like a very classic, like a... I don't know, maybe this is like, maybe this is reaching, but there is something about like, it's kind of this like this like Russian man response of just like, like I, you know, something must be deeply wrong for me to have done this. It's yeah. just a very strange yeah. thing to say. Like I, 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 these attacks that I don't remember or that I have no memory of, like what, like what does that even mean? It's also this very, you know, th that kind of sentiment from people who are usually very privileged and don't really have to be held accountable that make themselves the victim. Like, you know, I'm, I'm suffering and there's something going on with me when you know, this woman was allegedly assaulted. So, you know, anyway, the doctors found nothing wrong with him. <laughs> the whole thing was settled in court and he publicly apologized to her. So Kirkorov also got, got in a fight with Russian uh, rock singer Yuri Shevchuk, the frontman for the rock band DDT. Of course he did. Because Shevchuk <laughs> reportedly made offensive statements about Kirkorov lip syncing. Here, I must note for our listeners that Shevchuk and his band DDT come from a completely different world from Kirkorov. DDT started in the 1980s and were secretly playing apartments, distributing their cassette tapes as part of the underground music scene. And then after the Soviet Union collapsed, they continued pretty much being political dissidents. And Shevchuk, unlike most Russian famous music figures, keeps no bodyguards. I mean, this is like the difference between the two. So Shevchuk and Kirkorda performed, which is also funny and ironic, they performed at the same New Year's concert in St. Petersburg. Interesting. Yeah. Afterwards, Kirkorov is having dinner in a fancy hotel, and he's finishing when, according to the newspaper Life, 
Yuri Shevchuk comes into the bar. Seeing Kirkorov, Shevchuk, who, according to eyewitnesses from this um, paper, was quite drunk. And he went to the pop singer and asked, how do you feel in my city? Okay, and just as a side note, Shevchuk and other members of DDT founded the band in St. Petersburg. Kirkorov responds, it's in Ufa or what? <laughs> Referring to the capital of the Republic of Bashkortostan, which is a semi-autonomous region within Russian Federation, where Shevchuk was born. Right. <laughs> and it's just okay. this, like... Cl- Amazing, like classist burn, like reminding someone they're they're from you know Ufa, not from Saint Petersburg, not from the cultural capital of Russia, like you know know your place kind of thing. Which is funny because Kirkorov is from Bulgaria. <laughs> yeah, it's such a um, it's such a classic like weaponization of like Russian classism specifically. Like you know, in Russia, there's such a clear center and such a clear periphery, and so it's interesting that like you know even you see this a lot where like even immigrants into the country will very quickly adopt that hierarchy and like use those like strata to insult each other or to like, you know, separate themselves from each other. Uh, despite mm-hmm. the fact that like, you know, it's it, it, it could be weaponized against them at any second. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's yeah, it was just a great retort. Even though I'm on Shevchuk's side in this, obviously, but like I was, that was a great burn. <laughs> Their verbal altercation then escalated allegedly into a physical one and reportedly I couldn't find any other corroboration from aside from this newspaper but um, Kirkorov knocked out Shevchuk's tooth that's really embarrassing but here's the thing Anna when you see photos of Kirkorov he has this kind of you know chubby face he looks kind of round but dude is tall yeah he is 190 centimeters tall which is six foot three shit yeah, I saw a photo of him receiving an award from Putin, and he's, like, towering over him. Oh, my God. Wait, did you say that DDT was a rock band? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, I just ha- – I don't know, like, where in the, like, rock to metal, like, hierarchy or spectrum they are, but I just have to say it's so fucking embarrassing to be – have your tooth knocked out as a member of a rock band by, like, the poppiest singer who you – By the poppiest insult- singer. Yeah, who you've been insulting because he's, like, a pop singer. That's embarrassing, like, as a rock singer. <laughs> but, like, I should say, like, as I'll, I'll show you a couple of their videos. They're, they're a rock band, but they're not, like, um, macho kind of, you know, in your face or anything. They're very, like, intellectual rock and, like, folky kind of political, if that makes any sense. I mean, I feel like rock has a tradition of that for sure. And I also, I do think it's interesting, though, that you were saying they're performing at the same New Year's concert, which for like, for anyone who doesn't always know, these like New Year's concerts, you know, from the Soviet Union onto the post-Soviet Union are a huge freaking deal. Like they're almost like, you know, they're they're big events. Um, People watch them on TV, right? Like these are like sort of like markers of Mm -hmm. what's, like they're, they're sort of a big aesthetic event too. Um, so it's interesting that like you'd have like this like pop singer and this these like this like rock group that started yeah. by distributing their cassettes at the same because it's like Estrada is like a variety show. It's not like Burning Man where you you know the lineup makes sense somehow. There's like a yeah. there's a common kind of thread running through it somehow, but there isn't that here. Yeah, and it's interesting because there was already tension between Kirkorov and Shevchuk because Shevchuk wrote a song making fun of lip syncing performers and made a reference that sounds like he was talking about Pugacheva's husband, also known as Kirkorov. So the quote, I'll just read the three lines that sounds like he's referring to him. And it says, he opens his mouth like a fish in the sand. He is on the stage, his eyes on a blue board. The national bridegroom wriggles and dances. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, and this was when Pugachova was still married to Kirkorov? Mm-hmm. 
Jesus. The national bridegroom wriggles and dances. Yeah, total burn. Wriggle. What's do you know what the Russian do you know what the Russian word was for wriggles and dances? Uh, I can't remember. I translated this, but I can't remember. I'll I'll find the original. Wriggles. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, using this opportunity to go back to his relationship with Ola Pugachova, remember how I said it was a scandal that they got married because of their age difference? Yeah. And that there was another reason that it was a little weird? Uh-huh. Okay. Which brings me to <laughs> Kirkorov is generally understood to be gay. Okay. He is at the very least a gender-bending pop star. As Olga Khazan said in a 2013 piece in The Atlantic, Kirkorov, quote, is not openly gay, but he nonetheless generates much speculation with his amply applied glamorous makeup and diva personality. And then music critic Artyomi Troitsky said in an interview with Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, about artists like Kirkorov, quote, the way they perform is absolutely campy and in a very, very gay style. And I thought we would pause right now to briefly discuss the kind of uh, the problematic side of kind of speculating about someone's sexual orientation like this. And Anna, I want to kind of open it up. Yeah. I mean, I think that there obviously is an inherent tension between like talking about public figures um, and speculating about people's sexual orientation. It's sort of easier, I think, to draw that line in countries where public gayness, the public expression of gay identity is more accepted or even just allowed. And I think that, um, the position that people are often put in we're talking about the former Soviet Union or when being in the former Soviet Union is that like because of the criminalization, not just of like, you know, homosexual acts or something like that, but like the attempted criminalization of like being gay in, you know, in any way, shape or form, it sort of like forces you into this position to talk, talk about this. So I think it definitely, you know, it's like it's not great. It is problematic to speculate about someone's like sexuality, but these people are also tools of the state in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So you mm -hmm. kind of have to be able to talk about it to parse out, you know, their effect on the general LGBTQ community, the the yeah. way that they validate the state and the way that they affect this community as a whole. Absolutely. And, you know, something to note for everyone is that Russia is one of the most homophobic uh, countries um, in Europe, if not the world. And from a Human Rights Watch report from 2018, we know that LGBTQ folks in Russia face a lot of homophobia. It's never been a you know terribly tolerant place, you know, as a society of things outside the norm. But in 2013, it passed the so-called gay propaganda law, which made social hostility against the LGBTQ community so much worse. So you can be super homophobic now, and it aligns with the state push narrative about traditional values that Moscow's extremely conservative domestic support base wants. So it's political homophobia, right? It's not just social. And this political homophobia has helped Russia internationally and geopolitically to present itself as this kind of alternative to the West, right? It's it's the country of traditional family values, right, which then connects to so many right-wing reactionary political forces in the world, some of the more recent ones being the American right-wing, right, with people like Tucker Carlson and Alex Jones who love Putin. Yeah. Now you may be wondering, like, how do you ban gayness, right? Can't you just be, you know, gay alone at home? Yes, that's not the point. The, the ban is on, quote, the promotion of non-traditional sexual relations to minors, which is generally understood to mean a ban on giving children access to information about LGBTQ people's lives, usually through the press, television, radio, and the famously governable internet. 
I don't need to explain the serious harm this does for LGBTQ youth in Russia in particular. It creates legal barriers between them and the support services that they need. This law has restricted access to information about gender and sexuality online. And I can't emphasize enough how isolating this is. According to that Human Rights Watch report, Respondents repeatedly said that, quote, their primary struggle was not coming to terms with being different as such, but rather finding accurate information about gender and sexuality in a hostile environment. And because of this, the Internet is the only place that they can turn to for information, which in Russia is a vitriolic, politicized and censored space. So this is the environment in which Kirkorov gets applauded for dancing in sequin suits and flirting with the ambiguity of his sexuality on stage. And remember the context of Russian Estrada members being agents of the state, right? To somehow communicate how preposterous all of this is, Kirkorov won People's Artists of Chechnya in, 20, in 2006. Chechnya, where it's not only not advisable to be gay, but where gays are routinely targeted in purges. Between February and April 2017, Chechnya's law enforcement and security services rounded up dozens of men on suspicion of being gay, held them in unofficial detention facilities for days, humiliated, starved, and tortured them. And the security officials forcibly disappeared, some of the men, and they're gone. We we don't know where they are. Christ. Yeah, I think that um, the level of the... the degree of homophobia in Russia and, you know, in, in the various federated republics can't be uh, overstated. But I also think that it's something that is um, exploited and manipulated by the Russian government so much, like, so much more over time. Um, like, the amount to which this has entered public discourse has increased, I think, um, over the years. I also want to note that there is a decolonial element here as well. Um, something that, you know, people asked when we talked about doing this episode first um, was, you know, what do gay rights have to do with decolonization in this podcast really is, you know, an anti-imperialist decolonial podcast. But um, the reality is that there is such a real human impact of this kind of manipulation um, by the Russian government of uh gay rights of gay people's lives um, because the Russian government frequently uses it as a political tool or as a political distraction and there are human lives at stake. And not only that, but the um, policing mechanisms that the Russian government builds, the sort of state power that it grants itself to protect people from the scary, scary um, homosexuals are then weaponized very quickly against um you know, anybody else or any other group seeking independence or asserting their rights. And that same weaponization is then mirrored um, in larger parts of Eurasia, in other parts of Eurasia. Um, And that is a human cost that cannot possibly be understated. So the reality is that decolonization in the Eurasian space, like in many other spaces, is explicitly tied to the liberation of gay and trans people. Um, and I also think that, like, it's like you you mentioned this earlier, Karina, where you were saying that uh, it's used to like position Russia as this like in opposition to the West. And I think it's also used as a tool for political distraction. It's an ability to, you know, keep public discourse on this one thing. There's this Russian, um, he's part of a Russian opposition TV, Navalny TV. He's like a young blogger named Pikule. And he had this video, it was a comedic video on YouTube where he sort of commented on the reaction to two men kissing in a comedy sketch. It was like the most asexual kiss too. Um, but, 
but he commented on it and, you know, he was showing all of the, it was like one of those variety shows and he's showing all of the hosts reactions and how they're like horrified and their later commentary about how, you know, it's, it's so much pearl clutching. And then he shows videos of those same hosts engaged in cross-dressing or like vaguely like homoerotic like from years past. And he goes, this is so clearly like a political tool. This is so clearly something that it's like, it's for them as much a show. Like, what are you so horrified by? It's incredible, but it's definitely increased, I think, over the years. And there, I mean, there have been some comparisons even drawn to like Imperial Russia. Um, I don't know, like, I don't want to opine on something I don't know about, but it's like about how homophobia in Russia has only increased um, with the sort of like, you know, current political order. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, um, a peer-reviewed journal article recently came out about masculinity in Russia. And uh, I guess the author or authors uh, began the research before the war in Ukraine, the invasion of of Ukraine. But they do kind of touch on how that um, Russian kind of foreign policy and... um, Russia's identity in the world is is intrinsically connected to that those ideas of traditional masculinity in Russia. So yeah, there's something there. It's really interesting that these contradictions have been written about, right? Yeah. So in the same Atlantic article um, that I referred to earlier, Olga Khazan says, one theory for the success of gender-bending performers in an otherwise extremely homophobic society is that it's an extension of a kind of dandyism that's been prevalent in Russian theater and music for centuries. Um, and they cite a lecturer in Russian literature at UCLA named um, Boris Dralyuk, who said that there's a historic appreciation for these types of colorful displays coupled with Russian's affair of ballet and opera, which means, you know, effeminate or even drag performances aren't really associated with homosexuality necessarily. And in the European Journal of Cultural Studies, a scholar named Maria Brock argues that Kirkorov's appropriation of camp is strategic and postmodern. Quote, as it responds to various trends such as the growing popularity of global gay culture. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting, right? Because it's like almost like um, they're framing it. And I, I kind of, I see it, to be honest. It's a deliberate use of gay culture for professional success without having anything nominally to do with the LGBTQ community. That's really interesting because part of the uniqueness of, I think, um, Russian state homophobia is the attempt to ban like you said, not just like if you compare to the to the United States, for example, which is which is just where I happen to have some knowledge, but you the sort of homophobic laws were kind of um, I mean now they're not now they're sort of taking a, a leaf out of the Russian playbook. But the, what were the initial homophobic laws? They were laws against sodomy. They were laws against mm-hmm. you know homosexual acts. And Russia has really gone deeply down this like path of trying to ban expressions of sexuality, period. And this isn't like, this Mm -hmm. is, this isn't new. This has been going on for over a decade at least. It's this attempt to ban gay culture, right? It's an attempt to ban the identity, which is just so not fucking possible, right? Like you can't, like, it's just, it's so funny to see nationalist cultures try and ban gay identity and to have been been littered with like gay authors and composers and things like that in their past. I would I would go even as far to say that they're attempting to ban even discussions about yeah. being gay. But what's weird about that is that like Russian estrada, like you said, is so full of expressions of gay identity. And it is kind of this like moment of appropriation, I think. Whether or not any of these people are gay, 
because like like it or not there is a global you know gay culture there there is gay influence there is like the influence of lgbtq artists um and the artists that they choose to prop up right like artists like you know lady gaga or madonna who aren't necessarily you know um like weren't like gay icons themselves uh mm-hmm. like regardless of their sexual orientation but or sorry they weren't like they weren't like lesbian icons or something like that, but they were propped up by the gay community, right? And their style of performance was propped up by these people. And in Russia, it's really bizarre to see, you know, the juxtaposition of trying to yeah. ban public gayness with the expression. And, and finding professional success in that. So, you know, nowhere is this more obvious than the examples of heterosexual artists kind of pretending to be gay. You remember Tattoo? <laughs> yes. So... Their video for all the things she said, was of them kissing in the rain, right? Dressed in schoolgirl uniforms at the age of 14, um, which obviously is like very problematic in and of itself. Incidentally, I was in Russia in 2002 when they were really big and there was an interview with them on Russian TV and the guy asked them if they're lesbians, right? Mm -hmm. And they're kind of like, and they don't say yes or no. They say, we just love one another. (laughs) Obviously, you know, their their persona was all about, I don't know, like male fetishization of lesbians. And even though both of the now women have nominally stated their support for LGBTQ rights, one of them, Volkova, the one um, with the dark hair, uh, insisted Mm -hmm. in an interview that, quote, a man should remain a man, whereas, quote, lesbians look aesthetically nicer, which like, fuck off. There's such a history of that too, right? Like fucking hell, like lesbianism is always somehow like because it's fetishized more accepted um, than, you know, hom- like homosexuality. Somehow homosexuality takes away from your masculinity, but lesbianism exactly correctly. You're still absolutely you know, woman, there's, you know, there's still objects, right? But, you know, otherwise, I think actual Russian LGBTQ stars' private lives are pretty secret. I mean, like an open secret, but they're real same-sex experiences aren't really known at all. Kazan's piece in The Atlantic quotes Dana Heller, a professor at Old Dominion University who studied sexuality in Russian music, who says, quote, Kirkorov married Ala Pugachova in what was clearly a business partnership more than a romantic relationship. And it served the additional function of providing cover for him, right? The appearance of normalcy. And mm-hmm. this normalcy is clearly something that he's an active agent in. So this is, you know, where we get, you know, into talking about his agency, I guess, right? Which is really fascinating. He's probably the most fascinating aspect of this, um, how he kind of negotiates Russian society, homophobia, and his own kind of relationship to the image that he portrays within all of that. So he would talk about Pugachova, Kirchgorov, in kind of like stereotypically chivalrous ways in interviews, just describing how he would never allow anyone to speak ill of her, right? In, in, in ways that seem kind of performant to me, performative. He recorded a song called I Raise My Glass, which he later said was a love letter to Ala Pukachova. I mean, this is Kirchkorov knowing exactly what's, what he's doing. A lot of the heteronormative love represented in his music videos, she, um, this woman argues, is for retaining popularity among those like mil- middle-aged older women who constitute his core audience. And I guess it works because... They don't have to reconcile their love of Kirkorov with the culture's homophobia because as long as these people kind of keep their sexuality to themselves, there's no contradiction. Yeah, it makes sense. And as I said in the beginning, Kirkorov is not openly gay, right? But other artists are. Boris Moiseev is another star and he is openly gay. 
And somehow he's also celebrated and loved. Although if you look at his YouTube videos, they're flooded with homophobic uh, comments. In 2013, um, also political journalist Anton Krasovsky was fired immediately after coming out on TV. So, you know, it's still a very hostile environment. What year was this? Uh, which one? Anton Krasovsky? 2013. To contrast, like with the firing of Anton, Krasovs- Anton Krasovsky, um, in 1999, the gay men's chorus of Los Angeles performed We Shall Overcome on Russian TV in Moscow. Um, and they performed with none other than Ala Pugacheva. So No way. Yeah. Wow. Pugacheva herself was like, I mean, she was sort of a progressive figure in a lot of ways, but the degree to which um, the, you know, continuous manipulation of homosexuality in Russia has been used by the political state increasingly can't be overstated. Like, can you imagine that today? No, no, impossible. That would never happen. Um, because we're talking about Russia, where homosexuality was decriminalized in 1993, but continues to be presented as a foreign threat, alien to Russia's civilization, there's this increasingly conservative nation-building agenda in Russia that reinforces this message that queerness and alterity will not be tolerated in Putin's Russia. And as I said, Kirchkorov is not openly gay, but his public stances on it are kind of ambiguous. So he signed an open letter criticizing a St. Petersburg bill that banned homosexual propaganda. Mm. That's one thing. Another thing is he he's worn a jacket that says queers still here on the back. Huh. And um, so he's done this stuff, right, that makes you think, okay, all right. But he's also denied discrimination within the Russian community. Like, he's actually denied that, you know, homophobia is a thing. And he insulted a trans – there's a transgender woman who danced in one of his music videos. It's called Color of the Mood Blue. And I've seen the video. It's fucking amazing. But he insulted her, calling her an it. Um, Oh, how kind. So nice of you to insult one of your employees like that. Just, Yeah. In an interview with rapper Basta, he said, quote, I am categorically against all this showing off called gay parades, all this clownery. But if it is a musical celebration like Eurovision, dot, 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 it's no secret that this is a kind of gay celebration because music is joy and the word gay in translation means joy. But that's another matter. But when it's for show and is an irritant for people who don't accept it, why bother them in the first place? Cause aggression. Just contradictions all around there. Um, First of all, just, I mean, I've heard from lots of people in non-Western countries talking about like gay gay pride parades as a really Western thing and kind of this Western notion that, you know, having a gay pride pride parade in your country is like a sign of civilization, evolution, like you guys are making it, you know, slowly. Whereas, you know, that's not necessarily obviously the case because, you know, we're talking about rights and stuff because even in the U.S. you can have gay pride pride parades, but, you know, your, your rights are being chipped away. So what the fuck does that matter? But of course. this, this, this kind of attitude, which is a very Russian one, I find very typically kind of almost like socially authoritarian where you're not supposed to do things that like might irritate the, the kind of conservative masses. You just don't do it. Um, it's also this bizarre separation of identity from performance. It almost reduces gay culture to gestures where you know you can you can be gay in a fun way you can be gay to entertain um but as long as you shut the fuck up and never assert your humanity in any other sphere then that's acceptable which is like you know i mean how fucking dehumanizing but also a sort of like it's it's a very difficult road to try like traverse because 
how are you going to separate, you know, gay culture from the people? Like it's, I, it's, it's going to be so miserably like unsuccessful, but yet I think that's exactly what they're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, and, and who is he to call it clownery when he literally dresses up in, in costume and performs? I mean, isn't that what clowns do? I mean, it, writ large, I don't mean like specifically. And it's almost like positioning yourself as being a kind of protector of, you know, this, again, this Russian conservative social order. Even if he is a member of the LGBTQ community, he can kind of come out and say, actually, I don't agree with this thing that makes you uncomfortable, which is very kind of, it's punching down and it's very kind of associating yourself um, with power. Yeah, I, it's interesting to contrast that with like you were like, you know, in the United States, you have gay pride parades while, you know, you have rights chipped away at or just stripped in many places. Like there are going to be many places where you have a gay pride parade and yet where, you know, trans people won't be able to have access to housing or like I mean, this is this will be true in almost all places in the United States um, or anti-discrimination laws or things like that. Um, but gay pride parades are still intended to be an assertion of rights. So, you know, in, in Russia, it's like they've taken the show aspect and then divorced any assertion of the pe- like the 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 right behind it. Um, yeah. So as long as it's entertaining, it's cool, right? Like dance, absolutely, dance. exactly. And you know, you want to associate the word gay with joy. I was just there's layers to this, you know, just this kind of trying to associate gayness with something that's not um, necessarily scary. I mean, for what it's worth, the the slang word for gay in Russian is "goloboy," which means blue. So I don't know where the fuck he's going with that one. <laughs> So, you know, his stances on queerness are obviously pretty contradictory, and he seems to play off that tension between Russia's homophobic conservatism and its seeming captivation with safe, non-heteronormative sexuality. But how do his politics fit in? So because of his public support of Russia's 2014 annexation of Crimea, he was banned from entering Ukraine and Lithuania. And in Ukraine, he was included on a list of persons, quote, who pose a threat to Ukraine's national security. Now, incidentally, Anna, during the 2004 Ukrainian presidential elections, Kirkorov's father, Bedros Kirkorov, made an embarrassing faux pas during a pro-Viktor Yanukovych candidacy concert. Now, Yanukovych was aligned with Putin, and he advanced to the runoff election and was initially declared the winner against former Prime Minister Viktor Yushchenko. But the election was fraught with allegations of electoral fraud and voter intimidation. And this caused widespread protest and Kyiv's independence square was occupied in what later became known as the Orange Revolution. So Bedros mistakenly called on Ukrainians to vote for the opposing candidate, Viktor Yushchenko, the opposition candidate that, that represented democracy, you know, apparently to wild cheers from the audience. <laughs> That's so fucking funny. <laughs> It's, I mean, what a faux pas. It was just like beautiful. But yeah, he publicly supported Russia's 2014 annexation of Crimea. And in an interview, he called Crimea, quote, his favorite place in Russia. Oh, fuck that. Okay, cool. Essentially condoning a violent and illegal takeover that Moscow has since justified with the lies that it's a peacemaking force aimed at preventing a genocide, as we know, is being again deployed in Ukraine right now. And Kirkorov also threw Russian dissidents under the bus when in early 2021, there was a short-lived wave of anti-Putin protests across Russia, which is when Kirkorov took to Instagram to say, quote, we live in a free country where every person has the right to their opinion, right, LOL, and publicly supporting your president is just a tiny bit of gratitude for having confidence in the future, end quote, (laughs) hashtag, hashtag Anna, Putin best president. 
Oh my God. There's something so perfect about that. <laughs> I mean, that's just a strain of like reactionary conservatism everywhere, right? We're like, we live in a free country and that is why you should be patriotic till the end. I mean, just seeing where every person has the right to their opinion. I mean, I can introduce you to dozens and dozens of political um, dissidents in person right now in Russia. So incredible. Yeah, I, I mean, there's just the, the layers of gorgeousness in that statement are, are too many to handle, I think. Also, yeah, like poor Putin, you know, he totally He just, he needed Kirchhoff's defense, honestly. Yeah. People need to be grateful. I think that, you know, he's really missing a lot of gratitude in his life. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, this is where we get, and we've already gotten really there, to the, the layers of absurdity in Russian politics and society. So in spring 2022, right, not that long ago, Kirkorov publicly slams editor-in-chief of Russian state-funded broadcaster uh, Margarita Simonian. Margarita. Margot. I'm sure we'll get to her in this podcast at some point, but for now I'll just call her an odious, nasty piece of shit. I fucking hate that woman. <laughs> If I had an arch enemy, I'm declaring this now. If I had an arch enemy, it is Margarita Simonian. It's her. I wish I wish someone could like there was like a, a secret camera that would take a photo of my face every time she comes across my timeline because I swear to God, it's like the most like I smell shit face. Oh my god. <laughs> so it's interesting because like does he do this because Simonian is a mouthpiece for the Kremlin and he opposes the invasion of Ukraine? No, no, of course not. No. No, he goes after her for questioning the sexual orientation of Ala Pugacheva's current husband, Maxim Galkin, who fled Russia after publicly criticizing Russia's war on Ukraine. Okay, so there's layers. Hold on. Let's kind of unpack this. All right, I'm ready. He goes after Margarita Simonian for going after Galkin, uh, accusing him of being gay, essentially. And this same person who was accused of being gay, fled Russia after publicly criticizing Russia's war in Ukraine. Okay, let me move on, and maybe that'll make more sense. People cited this swipe at Margarita as evidence of cracks within the pro-Putin elite. Here's the thing. Not only did Kirchhoff support the annexation of Crimea back in 2014, he also celebrated his 55th birthday with a show in the Kremlin in April 2022. Basically oh. two months, two months after the invasion, the current invasion of Ukraine. Just to refresh, when did when did that invasion start again? Was it was it this year or this year? So you know, before. <laughs> yes. And let's be honest, Margarita Simonian's attack on Galkin's sexuality would not have happened were it not for his anti-war stance, right? Like that was obviously oh, the reason not. she went after him, right? But what makes this extra ridiculous is that last year, in 2021, the Ukrainian security services put Galkin on a list of Russian cultural figures who threaten Ukrainian security because after Russia's invasion and annexation of Crimea, he took part in a gala performance of Russian artists in the annexed peninsula. Oh, my God. So basically, Galkin was cool with invading Ukraine until 2022, right? But he isn't now. So Simonian questions his sexual orientation, and then Kirkorov slams her. There's so many layers to this. It's just too much. Um, first of all, I also just want to, like, I think we'll probably talk about this later, but Galkin and Al Pugacheva fled to Israel, which is just a whole other thing. Um, 
But also, I think that it sort of like shows that like there's this like apolitical nature of many of these like public figures in Russia, right? Where like I'm not saying this without you know total a total lack of empathy because I get it. You're living in a fucking dictatorship, and any access you have to the public is controlled by this government. Okay, fine, whatever. But okay, um, and so like you know these like artists like perform in these victory shows that are used politically to you know invade and oppress another country or people within your own country. But then I think shit got so real for a lot of Russians with the war in 2022 because of, you know, a lot of them felt sanctions. They wanted their credit cards to fucking work. But what's even kind of crazier to me, though, is that, like, you've got, like, you know, the fucking, like, absolute Kremlin bots, like Margarita Simonyan, who, like, you know, you leave, you do anything, and, like, they will come after you, man. Like, everything is suddenly on the table. It's nuts. It's, like, it's it's crazy. But I don't know what the hell – I don't know what Galkin's playing at where, like, he's fine with the invasion up until 2022. Like, what changed, man? All right. So so when Kirkorov defended uh, Galkin, he did this uh, in an Instagram video. Uh, I'm sorry, a Telegram video of himself on May 1st, 2022. And in the video – He's, you know, has his new look. He's got spiky white hair and he's addressing the viewer. That's interesting. I was watching this, right? And he's saying that he's increasingly seeing internal aggression in society. And he said that he's bitter seeing how many people with an alternative point of view are stigmatized. And I have to be honest, I watched that. I was kind of getting excited. I was like, wow, is he actually going to start addressing problems of Russian society and fascism? Right? Even if it pissed me off that, you know, previously Kirchkorov had been basically participating in Russia's system all this time. I was like, wow, is this a turnaround? But then, no, it turns out he's addressing this to Margarita Simonian for insulting Galkin. He says, quote, you witch hunters are only exacerbating the internal rift. Public people are now obliged to unite, rally people, call for overcoming adversity, and you start spreading rot. It's it's almost like his issue is with the fracture and not... Like, yeah, Uh that's the thing, right? Like the issue is never the homophobia. Of course not. The issue is with the fracture with something else. And I, you know, I, I, I think that it's too charitable to say like, well, you can't express anything else because like the way that that's conducted is ultimately like these criticism, are, criticisms are chosen carefully because at the end of the day, what what do they protect? The Russian state, right? You're protecting the Russian yeah. state from fracture. And he's basically appealing to the unity of this, you know, of, of the elite that they're both members of. So he's kind of like appealing to her. Yeah. He's kind of saying, look, we're part of the same club. Don't do this. But you moron, because then Margarita Simonian, of course, of course, Anna, you and I would have predicted this. She responds to Kirchkorov in a tweet saying, uh-huh. Quote, and your former relatives, Philip, referring to Pugacheva and Galkin, shit this society right in the mouth. I don't know if your people like it that way. There are various sexual perversions, but the Russian people somehow feel uncomfortable. And there, my friends, is the crux of it. Kirkorov defends and benefits from the Russian state, expressing critique only after a bout of homophobia against a personal friend who was targeted for speaking out against Russian imperial aggression, when that same imperial aggression is animated and perpetuated by regressive tools of social control, including homophobia, that link these notions of manhood with imperial domination. Wow. That's it, right? It's It, it really is. Like, it, you know, he, he, he was able to rise to this kind of level of an elite and then very clearly used, you know, strategic. He used 
that position to protect himself, to validate the Russian state. And when it touches, you know, people around him, that's a problem. But I think it's also important to remember that, like, you know, that's not going to fucking protect him. Like, anyone can always yeah, still turn yeah. around and just say, you're gay, right? And that's always going to be there. Um, and what has Russia's biggest pop star playing with sexuality given the gay people of Russia? Like, where, what has that done? Who, who has that helped? And I, I find it, I find it interesting. I don't find it surprising, but I find it interesting the fact that, you know, um, Galkin being a target of um, Margarita Simonian um, was because of his anti-war stance, but Kirkorov never addresses that. He only addresses the homophobia. Well, we, we, he doesn't even really fully address the homophobia, right? He just No, he doesn't. Of- yeah. So he's only he's only reacting to the homophobia, but he's he's appealing to the unity of the political elite in Russia, political, cultural, social elite, um, which clearly isn't going to protect him, as you said. Like that's not you know he's not. No, well, they will always turn on him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's something Bugachova's role in this is is sort of fascinating to me because. If, if I remember correctly, um, back in the USSR, back in the USSR, she was <laughs> <laughs> she was pretty close with um, Mikhail Zhvanetsky, who was a comic and like a clear dissident. Like I mean, a dissident, dissident. Um, but he has these like he has these uh, stand up comedy sketches, which if you play them today, just line up perfectly with the current Russian you know political situation. And so it is interesting to see like Ala Pugachova rise to this, like, you know, like rise to this level, um, you know, after having, you know, been friends with Dvanyansky, sung with the gay, there's a, there's a whole story in Ala Pugachova too. Um, but after having done all this and then you kind of see like, you know, these people close ranks around each other with power and privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that is the end of this episode. Thank you so much, Anna, for your reactions and input and insights. It was it was great. Yeah, we learned so much about fucking Filip Kirkorov and, as always, the hypocrisy of power. <laughs> more, more than you would ever want to know. <laughs> okay, folks, thank you so much for listening to our first episode of Obscuristan. We hope you enjoy the trip to this bizarre, bizarre world. If you want to hear more about, you know, the influence of imperialism, power, and all that good shit on the on Eurasia and the former Soviet Union, stay tuned and listen to our upcoming episodes. So ready. Okay, we're going to start. Three, two, one, or whatever.